This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. But people know that you care and you're asking. And if you can, you will. And you'll do, you know, you'll do whatever that looks like. Even just be heard can yeah. some release some of the pressure. At least I know somebody knows the issue on my plate because it can be so isolated and lonely to think they don't even know what's wrong. And when you get to speak directly to leadership, you at least feel like you're giving them a window into, into your world that makes you feel more connected. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. <laughs> yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Dr. Joe DeCincy, and by the way, they both live in Louisville, Kentucky. Lots of great Kentucky conversations. We recorded this prior to the Derby, so there was a lot of Derby conversations, along with well, let's just say we had a nice conversation at 17 about, as I call it, Kentucky brown water, otherwise known as bourbon. So Dr. Hope Seller is the founder and president of Hope LLC. Hope stands for helping other people excel. And the website is www.hopeforleaders.com. And it is a firm that specializes in facilitating leader success at every level of an organization. For over 14 years of her professional career, Dr. Zeller worked at UPS in a variety of roles, including customer service, training and development, and employee relations. For 16 years, she's been consulting with organizations on leadership development. Dr. Joe DeCincy is the president of Educational Directions, LLC, www.edirections.com, an educational consulting firm helping schools around the Southeast for over 20 years. He developed custom and enterprise software to help districts track data and target students' needs, and he holds patents 
in school data management software and database integration. Hope and Joe have co-authored two books, Hope Leaders Underbridge Volume 1 and Hope Leaders in the 2020s, new issue to face, new problems to solve, new hope for the future, Volume 2. And our discussion centers around their new book, Hope for Leaders in 2020. Lots of great stories, analogies, and thought-provoking ideas to ponder. Leadership in the 2020s is far different from leadership in the 1900s, the 2000s, and the 2010s. But before we get to the interview, just a few housekeeping items. Off script, Mastering the Art of Business Improv is available for purchase on Amazon in paperback and in Kindle. If you'd like to learn more about the book or better yet, order a copy, go to offscriptimprov.com and order your copy by just clicking the click to order button. And it'll take you right to the Amazon website. If you'd like to buy 10 or more books, please contact me so I can offer you a bulk discount. You can reach me through my email at peter at petermargaritas.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a review of this show wherever you download your podcast from. Also visit my YouTube channel, Peter A. Margaritas, CSP, CPA, Biz Improv Virtuoso, where you can see previous podcast video episodes along with this one. And while you're there, just hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any updates. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, Imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders, a story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Hope and Joe. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I've got two great guests that have now become my two best friends. Uh, they, they reside in Louisville, Kentucky, and which just makes this Kentucky boy very, very happy because it's also getting close to derby time. And first and foremost, I want to thank you both, Joe and Hope, for taking time out of your busy schedule, preparing for the derby and everything else that you have. You have a book launch tomorrow as well uh, to spend time on my podcast. So thank you so very much. Well, Peter, thank you so much for having us. We really yes, thank you. We had to get the book launch in before derby because we take in Kentucky about three weeks to celebrate. And then one week to recover. So it's a month. <laughs> yes. it's, lost it's, it's a month long. It's a month long period of time. 
<laughs> but I have a question as we, so a month, a, a week longer, I remember in college, like that was about right, but we're far from college. Does this now take two weeks to recover from Derby? In um, our age, yes. It, it, it takes me two weeks sometimes <laughs> to recover from one night if I look like I did in my 20s. So even pacing myself, it's still a solid week or two to, to, to come back. So you guys have recently published a book, uh, Hope for Leaders in the 2020s. New issues to face, new problems to solve, new hope for the future. What was your motivation of writing this book? We had originally planned, we put out our first volume in our leadership series in 2015. So the goal was always going to be 20, you know, five years later, we would put out the second volume. And we started it in the beginning of 2020. And then things started changing rapidly. The world started changing. And we really realized the need to maybe shift some of what we were talking about in a different way. And so as we began working on that and got into the latter part of 2020 and we're realizing, wow, we're, we're in something. We're in something that is life-changing personally for people, life-changing professionally. So we redirected some of what we had to really look at how are we, and we are now just coming out of some of this. And you know, how do we as leaders be able to lead post-pandemic? Because we can't call, you know, we can't call what was normal ever normal that normal again. And I've stopped saying new normal. I'm saying it's the now normal. It's the, as organizations, we truly have to get on board with leading differently than we've ever led before. And so that really, you know, for us was what can we do for leaders to give them those tools and resources and a guide to be able to steer into to the unknown of a lot of things that you could have never planned for. And one of the things that I really liked about our approach with this book, of course, all the planning we did in 2019 went out the window because, you know, the things that we're going to write about, the things that had been like well documented over the last five to 10 years, you know, you had thrown everything up in the air and we were going to see what was going to fall out. And so this book really went on pause for almost a year. But um, when we came out, uh, I also write books in K-12 education. The last book that we did in K-12 education, we focused as much on the IP or, or the, the actual what we taught as the tools to help implement it. Because one of the things that you can do as academics is you can get too much, you can have some really good ideas, but then people are like, well, what am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. So this book focused on making sure that people had practical applications to do with their team for self-inventories and that sort of thing. So it's not just a book to read, but it's actually an inventory and a way to uh, be able to put this into practice without having to figure out how to unpack it yourself. All right. So answer this question. Um, what's the difference between leadership prior to the pandemic and leadership today? Well, if, you didn't, if you didn't have empathy before, <laughs> you better find it. Yeah. If your ears had no ability to listen, you better get them cleaned out. You better make space because people, people no longer have tolerance to work for people that they don't feel genuinely care about them. And, and you know, we're hearing about the great resignation and now it's being called the great reshuffling. It's the great rethink. And you know, time and time again, studies have complete, uh, concluded Gallup, the number one reason why people leave organizations is a bad leader. And so if you weren't in that before this pandemic, you have got to be in that game now. And, and, and it's not an unrealistic thing if you're giving people whatever they want and doing it, but it is really, how do we meet in the middle? How do we become more flexible as organizations and let people have some say 
and their work styles and the way they show up and the way do the way they do things. And people want to know that the person that they work for cares. And so, you know, if, if you had not tons of that before, it is now more important than ever to show up as that servant leader who listens first. You know, you listen to learn. And how can I best support you? How can I best serve you and be here for you now? And, and one of the other things that came out of the pandemic was, you know, the, with the old, old idea that things in motion tend to remain in motion, we have so many things that we do just because we've always done them this way. Mm -hmm. uh, we had such a break, you know, with the virtual, with some things being closed down, with some things reshuffling of what work looks like. We have to actively go back and recapture that if you're trying to get back into that fossilized 2019 version of doing things anymore. Uh, it was so easy to, you know, like if you've ever watched the movie Office Space, to require TPS reports, even though nobody actually <laughs> wondered, you know, or realizes like what they actually do or do they add any value. You have to actively go back and recapture those in, in um, inefficient processes uh, uh, today. So you have to have a better rationale for it other than, well, we've always done it this way. It, ma it makes it much more difficult for people to do things that they've just been conditioned to do. We have to really work backwards from with the economy of resources, with the lack of people that we have to help us out, how are we going to make the most of uh, retaining our, our folks and getting the most out of them? And, and that has to be having a new mentality about how you approach leadership. So how do you, and, and we've seen this as we've gone through the pandemic. Yes, we all had to work remotely, we couldn't go to the offices, but now that we're able to move about, there are some leaders out there, I love the word fossilized. I can just I can picture these guys in Cal place, and, and but they're still trying to revert back to the old leadership style. How and and they tend to have been in business for many many years, the CEO for many many years. They've got they've got some silver hair about them, male female. They they've got those those hashtags. How are we going to change their minds? You may not. Yeah. They may have to go. Yeah. They may not be part of, of the now normal. And that's a hard conversation. I just had that with a client this week. It's, it's going to be they either come to learn to modify some of these behaviors or they may have to move along and do something else. Because at this point, what that fossilization is causing is the young growing fossils to take their fossils somewhere else. And we can't afford, I mean, companies now just can't afford, I've got one company I'm working with, they've got 40 openings right now. You know how competitive that is to find 40 people and they need in person. These aren't virtual, you know, this is manufacturing. So it's a different, you know, different, they can't hire, well, I mean, they could, but it's, they need basically people that are here. So how do we, how do we be able to do that? You know, and it's giving, giving those, those leaders, those types of leaders, it, it, and I don't begrudge them for it. The way they've led in some cases have, have worked through the years. And in many cases, they've gotten promoted and got rewarded for those types of behaviors. But the workforce now with what everybody has gone through, have, we have really rethought our priorities. We've really rethought like what fulfills us and, and what do we wanna do, what brings us joy. And if my job no longer brings me joy because of something, because of a boss, I, I've had friends that didn't even have another job and they quit. They weren't worried about it. And so organizations are going to have to take a serious look and have a serious conversation on this is the way. And, and we'd love to have you part of it. But if you can't, then you may need to not be. 
And one, one of the great advantages of the great resignation is, you know, sometimes we are unlikely to change unless things get bad enough to force us to change. So when nobody was quitting, when no leaders were um, like bleeding, hemorrhaging their, their, their top producers, then you, if they're bad leaders now, they probably weren't awesome leaders before. It was just that it, you didn't have nearly as many red flags going up about what their, their approach to leadership was doing. The fact is that it's exacerbated now. If they were bleeding people before, they're hemorrhaging them now. So this may actually give either top management an opportunity to put them on a path where it's bad enough now to where it has to be addressed because it costs so much to recruit, retain, you know, find somebody, find two people that could backfill this, this aid producer that you did. And if the person's at the top of the food chain, it may be that their employees leave and they may or may not make it through just trying to get back to the old way of doing things. Unfortunately, bad leadership is going to be one of the ec epidemics we're never going to find a vaccine for. But we are getting, we, we are going to have things bad enough now to where we're going to address at least a, a, a few of them that we can. Maybe that's what we need to be working on, Peter. Yeah. A vaccine. <laughs> a, 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 vaccine. A, a vaccine for bad leadership. My, 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 my brother used to work for a division of the limited years ago, and, and he had this boss who was absolutely toxic. Toxic beyond toxicity. And they, they, they hired a coach to come and help her. Didn't really work, but she kept getting promoted. And, and my, my brother, I have no idea how this is working. So he, he, he went and joined another. But we hear this, we, we, hear, we used to hear this all the time, and that might be a slightly overstatement, that we would keep bad leaders in place because they're producing. They're getting the people to produce, but the part they weren't looking at is they might be producing, but the turnover versus a, a, a good leader will call was 10 times more, but they never really took that, they never took the people factor into consideration. And you know, and it's interesting you say that, Peter, because I say this all the time. It's not the people that quit and leave your organization that you have to worry about. It's the people that quit and stay. Oh. And there are a lot of people that quit and stay and remain working for the type of leaders that we're talking about. So what is that costing you? And, you know, I will say to organizations all the time, they're like, well, we can't afford to lose this leader, even though he or she is not the best. I'm like, but what is it costing you to keep this person? Because you may not have people quickly going out the door, but I guarantee you, you have people not producing to the level in which they can produce. They are noticing problems that they are admiring, not trying to solve. And it's because that they are working for somebody that you know, maybe I, I can't go find another job right now, but ooh. I can do some things that might make this really difficult for this person. And sometimes because these types of leaders, generally speaking, do have egos that are a bit larger in size, they don't even see it. If they think production is happening and getting done, they don't want to dive any deeper into it because then that's going to cause them to have to have some serious reflection on how am I showing up and what am I doing to contribute to this? Because they definitely are. And, and, if, and, if, they're, and if they're coming back, if they're, do 360 studies if, if they're losing people and they're keeping them because they're producing, then it sounds like senior management needs to go back and recalibrate their metrics of success. Because if somebody is working their people in a way that they're just compliant, they're not giving you their heart and soul, they're, they're doing it because it's a paycheck, but you know, they're, they're not giving you their A game, their best thoughts, uh, uh, then how long do you take 20%, 25%, 30% off somebody's effort how many years does that go on before what the single person is producing 
uh, is, is costing you. You know, it's costing you, uh, uh, like Hope said, people quitting staying or people quitting and quitting, uh, um, or they're, they're just giving it, you know, they're just compliant. They're not engaged. And in the world that we have and how few or how scarce the resources are, you've got to treat your people to where you're, where you're always getting an engagement level out of, the, out of them, not just a compliance level. Mm-hmm. Engagement level. During the pandemic, I, I heard that the uh, there was like this um, employee engagement number and and employees before the pandemic were engaged maybe 30% of the time during the pandemic at first it went back up to maybe 35 but then it kind of dropped back down and they said well that must be good I went I don't understand I'm a numbers kind of a guy so let's look (laughs) at the other side so if we have employee engagement 30% 70% are unengaged that's the problem. We're looking at the smaller number, look at the other side, and how do we engage our employees? And what I also found that, and a couple of my clients ran into this, their high performers, when they went remote, all of a sudden they started having problems. They were missing deadlines, the work was sloppy, and come to figure out, we weren't engaging with them like we were in the office. We weren't having touch bases, we weren't, or not as frequently. And they felt a little isolated and on an island and kind of lost that enthusiasm. I mean, leadership is tough. And, and, then, on the flip, and then on the flip side, you have people that thrived when they got to work from home, when they got to cut out the commute that put them into a bad state of mind in the morning, when they didn't have the, the, uh, the office talky vampires that would come in and just like gnaw in your ear about something, you know, ridiculous for 20 minutes and just... Like you really need to get to this. So the, the the fact is, not everything before was bad. Not everything through the virtual world is good. It's really based on your circumstance, based on not just your industry, but the talent that you have in your company. Um, you know, like in, in Louisville, we don't have bad commutes. Everything's twenty minutes away, uh, um, usually because you took a wrong turn. But I mean, we have a very easy commute in the morning, so we don't have this like planes, trains, and automobiles way to get into work. So for us, it might be a little bit easier. If you're talking up in the Northeast, you might have people that, that, that give up so much of their quality of life that re- recouped, you know, three hours a day and still got all their work done. Uh, there are real positives to not having everybody be in the office all the time. Even here in our office, uh, in the education company that I run, we have people come in when they, when they, when they have to be, but we say work where, you're, where you'll be the most productive. We've stopped looking at how many hours you work and we start look at the amount of work you can handle and if you're meeting your deadlines or not, because that's ultimately the metric of success. It's not, do I see a butt in a seat for eight hours? It's, did I get the amount of work I need to get out of a day? And who cares if they watched a Netflix thing in the middle of it, or if they did a load of laundry or something, if you hit all your deadlines and you're producing at the level I need you to, and it would go down if I made you come and work right in front of me, I need to worry about your output, not, not, micromanage your input well and I, you know what it comes down to and i know this is a word near and dear to your heart peter is collaboration and there is a real opportunity for collaborative conversations coming as like talk to your people and listen to what they're telling you you may have one person that just can't make it at home working they've yeah. got to come in they want to be there five days a week you may have other people that say ah i can come in one or two some that don't want to come in at all, but it, it should be, let's talk about this as a team. What makes the most sense? How are we going to be able to do that? And, and what works for one team at one company 
it's not going to be one size fits all for all of this. But, but the point is, is, you know, if you're a leader leading by yourself, you're not a true leader. I mean, if you're, you're, you know, you're dictating things and you turn around and everything you say is a monologue, not a dialogue, you're eventually going to lose people, even if they're still with you. So it's like, how are we having these conversations right now? And, and you know, again, the whole point of us providing guides and resources is how are we giving leaders tools, especially ones that don't feel comfortable. They're not used to collaborating. They're not used to having these conversations. They think they don't need to be the one with all the answers. Let's let the team decide this up as much as we can. How much flexibility do we have to decide what this looks like now and what makes the most sense? And like Joe said, if somebody's not producing, then that's another conversation. But I just because I see you, I mean, being in the corporate world for 14 years, just because I saw somebody for eight hours a day in their cubicle, did not mean they were producing. <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, I had some days, what is going on there? So it, to me, it's, it's the, they, we know what the goals are. We're explicitly clear. Are we meeting them? And then if we're not, then that's an accountability question. And then maybe we need to look at what, what's not working there. Another one of my favorite words, and as you was describing, you know, how you operate your business, trust. Mm. You trust your people that if you give, so I used to be in the banking industry. My boss says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some rope. You can do one or two things. You're either going to build a bridge or hang yourself. I still have, <laughs> I still have rope, but he, he was not a micromanager, but he trusted I was going to try to do my job. And this is back in the eighties. However, a lot of times that, let me, I got to make sure I see cheeks in the seat. My father, when I first got a job in, I think, public accounting, he said, son, my dad was owned a liquor store in Lexington, Kentucky, so he was never in the corporate world. He said, son, when you get up to, one, you need to be there before your boss gets in. Two, if you're up and moving around, carry a file or something with it. Make sure you have <laughs> And, and, and especially if you have to go to the restroom, take that file with you. And then, <laughs> and then you do not leave until your boss leaves. You need to be seen. And I, in the back of my mind, I went, that's kind of how we were raised as children. We should be seen and not heard. That sounds like the George Costanza Seinfeld episode. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he was always walking around and he was always in a hurry. Right. You know, and then his desk, his boss would come in and he was strained in files. I mean, it was yeah. for appearances. And there was nothing happening. I mean, there was no quality product happening there. Right. Well, yeah. well you know, uh, the uh, tr trust is huge. Now, we have the luxury at our company of everybody will just suck it up and do the work until we have an amazing person to fill. Not every industry can do that. Like if uh, uh, some people have to, you know, sometimes just, you know, you hold a mirror up and a fog appears, you're qualified, you know, you're hired. Uh, um, we, we, we are lucky enough to not hire somebody in, until an amazing person presents themselves. And then we do everything humanly possible to keep them. You know, we make sure that we're constantly checking in with them. Are we meeting your needs? You know, have your needs changed at all? Like, uh, uh, even some of the interpersonal stuff of what can we help you with so that we're not just giving you a job that pays a paycheck, but we give you a quality of life that would make you never want to leave our company. And that's why mm -hmm. our folks come and they, they, they don't leave because we focus so much on culture. And I didn't come up with that process by myself. When, when I used to still be in law enforcement software early in my career, I got to mentee under uh, this amazing uh, servant leader, uh, uh, Doug Cobb. And uh, um, he would he was not only this great visionary of where he wanted this uh, uh, company to go, but he would take the fruit cart around. He had like that everybody was going to get donuts and like jacking up this back in the go-go nineties of software where you had to have like 
Red Bull and, you know, boxes of candy everywhere. Cause you know, we, all of our still 20 year olds were just like sugar high. And th- so he started walking a fruit cart around at, on Thursdays and would hand out fruit. And anytime he wanted to talk to, he always left his office door open. If he didn't have something going on, you could be at any level of the company at the time. Of course, now they're like a billion dollar company. But at the time, I think we were three or 400 people. You could just plop down and tell Doug your problems. And he would have uh, 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 monthly um, meetings where you take a cross section or, or lunches and just keep getting the first. He didn't want the filtered, filtered, filtered from the v, from the VPs all the time. Sometimes he wanted the firsthand knowledge and like that's the data that we have to have to run companies. We have to have the real unfiltered stuff to make sure that we're making really good decisions. And it's not because we want to hug a tree or we're being like, like the, this big heart that we want to paint on the side of a wall or something. It's because it's the most tactical way to use your resources is to know what motivates people. You know, we, I had a VP one time. They used to love uh, to give a $100 gift card to his favorite steakhouse to everybody for Christmas. I'm a vegetarian. Okay, so it wasn't like a real great gift for me. And then for a lot of people, it wasn't even enough to where they could take their spouse out and not have a big bill at the end. He was giving the thing that he wanted them to want rather than getting into the heads and finding out, man, if you would have donated that to like a shelter, you could have made me much happier than like killing something with a face. You know, so uh, it, it's this empathy, this working backwards from the way people think is really important in terms of how to tactically use your resources and retain and motivate your best people. Yeah, it's kind of like listening to them and asking them. It's, yeah, I, I, I've got this quote that I've used for a number of years. The collective knowledge outside of the office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside of your office. Go talk to your people. Yeah. Go talk to your people. I mean, we should be doing stay interviews, not exit interviews. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. We, you know how many more exit interviews we do than stay? <laughs> and when you get to the exit, it's too late in most yeah. cases. It's past the tipping point. That's, so checking in regularly, like Joe said, and just, what do you need? What can I provide for you? And I may not always be able to do it, but people know that you care and you're asking. And if you can, you will, and you'll do, you know, you'll do whatever that looks like. Even just be heard can yeah. some, really send that pressure. At least I know somebody knows the issue on my plate because it can be so isolated and lonely to think they don't even know what's wrong. And when you get to speak directly to leadership, you at least feel like you're giving them a window into, into your world and it makes you feel more connected. And we're gonna need that a lot more as people work remotely. Uh, we don't get that unintentional water cooler talk nearly as much anymore. You jump onto a Zoom for the amount of time and then there's no lingering afterwards to you know, chat about the game or something. So we have to be so much more intentional about how we develop that empathetic bridge than we ever have before in this, in this now normal. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a question for you. Um, I, I, I know when I wrote, was writing my book off script, I came across some information that actually surprised me. And there are two pieces. I'm going to just tell you one. I won't tell you the other one. But one of the pieces was, is, is the survey that was done. And I keep forgetting. I, I need to look it up again. But they said 78% of people leave their employer, not because, not for money, because of the lack of appreciation. Mm-hmm. And you said, when we listen to people, the, the single act of listening to people without an agenda, without conscious and unconscious biases without anything and just listen and be present and active in that conversation. Because Alan Alda once said, uh, what was it? Real listening is the ability to let someone change your mind. Mm. Everything else is just the dialogue back and forth. I I, I related to our U.S. political system. 
So when I, I saw that, I said, lack of appreciation. It is so easy to do, but why is it so hard? Because I, I don't know, I, I guess I grew up, well, I, I grew up with a lot of lack of appreciation from my bosses. But it's, I don't know, it's a people thing. It is I, a people thing. And you've got to be intentional about it, though. And you right. can't be fake about it. And you can't just, you know, go up to somebody. And, and, and most of the time, because I, I teach a lot on how to give, give good feedback, it's not good feedback. It's like, you know, hey, Peter, you did a good job. Oh, okay, on what? But I do a lot of really good things. So oh, oh, what, is it that, what is it that, I, that I'm doing specifically? Because then I know you're engaged with me. I know you're seeing what I'm doing and, and you're appreciating that I'm, you know, doing some things really well. Oh, what's that recent study that you uh, saw about um, why people are leaving their jobs now? Uh, um, the, you, you quoted something to me the other day. Well, the, the, the number one reason is bad leaders. I mean, that's- But what was the percentage-wise? The percentage-wise like, in that in the study 86%? that- 86%? Yeah, it's, it was on the upside of 80. They don't leave the job. They lead their, their immediate boss. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's and, normally for not being recognized, Peter, like you said. It's for also lack of feedback. I mean, you know, when I, in the class I teach on feedback, I ask a question, I'm like, okay, if your boss were to text you right now, and I, let's say I let you have your phones out <laughs> and you see a text come through and it says, see me as soon as you have a break or call me. How many of you in here, show of hands, think you're getting promoted? And then I've had one person laugh. And then after I had a couple of days with this guy in class, I thought, yeah, he would think that. But everybody else was, everybody else was like, I'm getting fired. Oh my gosh, I've only been in this class for an hour. What happened? I mean, because they don't hear the only feedback generally that they get is when it's, um, I'm, I'm being very destructive with you, not constructive, destructive on you because you screwed up. And so if I'm making enough deposits along the way in my emotional bank account with you, when you call me, I know I'm coming in to get something that's going to help me be better. Even if it's you telling me I did something great, I worked on a project, keep doing it, you know, reward what you want more of. Or if it's something that next time I do it, here's maybe a better way. Here's something that I need to think about. And then I don't completely feel like, wow, I'm, I'm so incompetent. You know, what that does to my motivation and my engagement when I feel like that. But it's because most of the time people hear feedback it's only when things have not gone well. And going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, it's not just this uh, um, this uh, uh, hippie stuff. It's it's actually a way to uh, get the most out. So when Hope was talking about doing stay interviews instead of just doing right. exit interviews, if we promoted the positive things that we want to see, if somebody does a great work, a uh, 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 way to go isn't just a way to put a little wind in their sails, it also lets them know what the level of proficient work should look like, and you're reinforcing it. Because if people hand us stuff all the time, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's okay, and we only really follow up with them when it's terrible, we're never really telling them what proficiency is and reinforcing it the same way. So we should reinforce proficiency as much as we give shaping feedback on the things that's below the minimum of what we would allow to come in. And one of the problems that we have is we build this culture. A lot of times we stick the new person with whoever's producing the least. So because we can't have our top flyers, you know, slow down any. So they onboard with an idea of what proficiency. And then when they actually need to start producing, we're like, this is all terrible. It's like, this is the way you train me to, you know, you put me with the person that onboarded me and that you formed that impression. So uh, uh, making sure that people understand what good work looks like, 
and then giving them uh, scaffolded shaping feedback to get them there. It's a tactical uh, uh, efficiency use of resources. Absolutely. Um, and as, as you were de describing that, I, I had a couple of thoughts that went through my head. But I, I did, the one question I want to make sure that I ask is when you were researching this book, what was something that you just went, oh my God, I never realized that or never, that, that surprised me? I will say for me, and Joe can answer from his perspective, and this is. Uh, Alan Denny was, is the contributing author on this chapter. And, and I say this all the time, but I think it's even more so important now with all that we're going through is the need for the leader to start with him or herself first. And that also means empathy and compassion for me, taking care of myself. I have realized how important that is because I'm coaching leaders right now that that's not happening. And guess what? That's cascading. That's cascading to the teams. That's, and you know, just telling them, you need to be taking care of you too. And, and when there's that feeling of they're not being able to do that or they're not doing that, sure, if any of us in a given period of time haven't been able to do anything for ourselves, we become, you know, but I think letting leaders know we need to help take care of leaders. That's why leadership development is so important. And I think a lot got uncovered the last two years with organizations that had decided to strip away that, you know, generally what are the two things that go when, you know, money's not there? marketing and training and what are the two things you should be investing in when things go marketing and training I mean you know and it's, it's getting people into that position so you're putting people into these positions sometimes that they don't know you know they, they just don't know better and they're not taking care of themselves well and I just you know as I went through and I read all the author's chapters I'm like it really does start with leaders first I've got to be the model for it because if I'm telling people to take care of themselves and you don't see me doing it then I'm not really walking that talk. And, you know, people are going to watch my actions far more ever than the words that I speak. And so for me, it wasn't this thing. It was just this validation that we need to make sure we're supporting people and taking care of themselves and not making them feel bad if they say, you know, I need to take this day off or I'm having this. But they also need me to see me doing it again as a leader. We, we had some interesting uh, guest authors come in and write on uh, pieces that they were better researched than we were. And General Denny is, 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 was an amazing addition to the book because he was a one-star general in the military and uh, his chapters on emotional intelligence are brilliant and researched and, and footnoted. Uh, um, and uh, um, I think that was one of the things that I found most interesting was, I think we have a certain idea about how the, the military works, this idea that, you know, this theory X, this, uh, uh, the old, uh, um, Frederick Taylor bottle of just, you know, the, it all trickles downhill. And he kind of flipped the script for me in terms of how you can't run things like a military operation if you're not really listening to what people are saying. Not what you want to hear, not what you hope you hear, but you listen with that blank slate that you're talking about and um, having the emotional intelligence to get the, the, the critical data that you need that for, in his case, saved lives. You know, because these some of the, these were in combat missions, and it, I just think about it being so much more dictatorial, and it was still so servant leadership based mm -hmm. in terms of even how the military works when it works properly. That that's probably the single thing that blew me away the most when we were going through the mm -hmm. research in the book. Uh, I, I what chapters there, if you know it off the top of your head? Um, I've got a copy of it right here. I can actually tell you. Um, well, and it, this was one of my favorites because he talks about putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. 
yeah. that was chapter four. Yeah, because I just I just interviewed last night a friend of mine, and we were talking about emotional intelligence and, and, and why why there is a need for this. And you even mentioned the word empathy a number of times in here. There, there's a book that was written a few years ago, probably eight, called um, Humans Are Underrated by Jeffrey Colvin, who was the managing editor, I believe, at Fortune Magazine. And in the book, he writes about artificial intelligence and machine learning. But he gets to the point where he talks about leadership and said, leaders of the future need empathy. And those who have empathy will become better leaders, will be better leaders. And sorry, guys, women, because they have that natural empathy to them, they will become the leaders of the future unless you guys can figure it out and become more empathetic in what you do. And I've, I've used that general aspect of the book for years, and, and I agree with it. We have to learn empathy. We have to, and, and there's a lot of definitions of empathy, but the one that really stuck to me came out during the pandemic is, you know, we say, understand somebody and, uh, you know, put yourself in their shoes. Well, you can't, but can you understand how they feel in their shoes? Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with your shoes. It has what, what they're feeling in their shoes. And that's, and well, and on top of that, be vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's interesting. I was having flashbacks of my corporate career and feedback I received <laughs> was that I was too empathetic and I got too connected to the people that I led because I cared about them. And I remember one leader in particular, which was, you know, was a great motivator for me to go on and do something else. Let's just say that, you know, he told me, he's like, that's never going to work for you. And he, he called me nice. And I'm using it. He's like, you're nice. And he said, a negative. <laughs> you will get crushed as a leader. He said, if you have any aspirations of going higher, you've got to figure out how to clamp that down a little bit. And I, I will never forget that feedback because I've made a whole life off of it. You know, there's a balance and I don't mean, you know, we, we all have to find that balance, but in his mind, it was really, that's not something I'm recommending you work into your leadership style. It's, you know, people are looking to you for answers. You need to give them answers. You need to tell them what to do. And, and never in there did I ever tell him, give me feedback on listening. I just did because that's who I am. And I always want to make sure that the people that I'm working with are taken care of. And it's not about what I need. It's about what you need. But that for me, when you say that about women, I don't know if it was because I was a woman. I don't know. But it was just interesting. He definitely didn't give that feedback to my male colleagues, my male counterparts. You know, he was rewarding them for being tough and for, you know, for doing what they needed to do. And he just said, I was, I would struggle in my career if I didn't figure out how to get that under control. Send him a copy of your book. <laughs> I, 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 I need to find out where he is and send it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, um, I think another thing, and, and I don't know if this is kind of age for me. I, I know when, when I was 25, I was sure I knew everything. So what possibly would you have to tell me now that I'm 50, <laughs> I realize that how little I know, and I depend so much more about really getting experts in front of me and letting them drive me. You know, if you have to be the expert of everything, and you're then most of your stuff is going to be mediocre. If you were an expert of 
getting great knowledge from people and finding a practical application from it, you can lead anything. It's such a transferable skill. Really quickly, just to circle back around just for a second on the emotional intelligence, there's three, there are actually three different chapters on EI. The one that General Denny wrote was developing a practice of workplace feedback, further discussion of implementing feedback best practices. And it's talking about how feedback has to have that emotional intelligence and that empathetic back end because you're not scolding, you're not rating, you're not giving a report card. You're trying to shape better work for the future. So you want to promote the good and you want to mitigate the bad in a way that still is uplifting. And it, it's, uh, it's a beautiful chapter. Uh, um, uh, you did a really great job with that. Um, I, I may start with that chapter and work sure, yeah. backwards. So as we begin to wrap things up, this has been a fascinating conversation. What's one piece of advice you would give to my audience in order to be able to become better leaders in 2022 and beyond? Well, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna take it from one of my chapters because the first chapter of the book is called Leading with Love. And you'll appreciate this acronym. So love is an acronym, love is all caps. And no, I'm not shouting love, but yeah, maybe in a way, but in a soft, nice way, I'm shouting this. But the four components of being able to lead with love is first of all, you've got to have a listening ear. And we have talked much about that on our interview. I mean, it, it just, it, it's critical. You start there. That's why it's, it's the very first one. And then beyond that is when you're, that listening ear is tuned in, it's having an objective mind. It's being curious, not critical of what is being shared with you. It's just sitting back and purely listening to what someone's having to say. And then when you're doing that, having a versatile attitude in, do we always have to do the way that we've done it? Not because maybe we've been successful, but it's the way that I feel comfortable doing it. So I think we should stay doing that. Um, and then lastly, it's an empathetic heart. And if you look at all four of those things, in my mind, in my 20 plus years in corporate America, and now having my own leadership development firm, if you do for those four things, if you can figure out how to do that version of that for you in a sincere way, people will go miles for you. And they will do things that they may not believe they can do, but they will do it because they know you believe it and they, you believe in them. So for me, that's, you know, that's been a greatest takeaway and what I aspire to do and show up and be every day. And some days I'm really great. Some days I can be better, but I don't quit trying. And, and on my uh, side, uh, I'm sorry. No, is that all we need is love, according to all you. All we need is love. That's what the uh, Beatles said. That's what, but with, with, with love comes challenges and love's not easy. That's right. <laughs> uh, on, on my side, I would, I would tell leaders that uh, um, they really need to be focused on their culture and climate. Um, if you had a great culture and climate before, don't assume it's going to pop back. If you had a terrible culture and climate before with, with the great rethink, you've really got some uh, uh, work to do. But if you do with, especially if everybody's not always back in the office, if you're doing some of the virtual work, if you're rethinking how actual production happens, anybody that's not concentrated on their culture and climate is going to unintentionally get whichever one forms on its own. What you don't want is that to form on its own. You want to craft what you want your company, what you want your department, even what you want your small little uh, um, interconnected team what that workflow, what that connectivity looks like. Um, culture and climate is gonna be one of the few things right now that's going to retain the best, maybe even attract great people because they wanna work with you. 
and and not have to have you go through a constant churn of folks it's going to do nothing but you know every time a new person comes in it's kind of like a chick, chicken pecking order uh, the, the longer you can have your team together the more efficient and the, the better they can work together culture and climate is absolutely where i'd put some of your uh, bandwidth as a leader right now absolutely great advice from both of you so as, as we're in here real quickly how can people find you they can find us at hopeforleaders.com and if they go and it's just h-o-p-e-f-o-r-l-e-a-d-e-r-s so hopeforleaders.com we've got all the information out there about how they can get the book if it feels like a helpful resource for them again it it, it definitely was a labor of much love and i you know when we did the first book in 2015, I said, it takes a village. Now I've shifted and I'm going to quote my father, very wise, sage mentor. Uh, he says, you have to have your people. You have to have your people. You have to believe in your people. You have to trust your people. And this book would not have happened without all of our people that, you know, we trusted and, and that's how I lead. And that's, you know, how Joe leads. And that's how we aspire to, because that's, it's true. We can't get anywhere by ourselves, and wherever you are, somebody helped you get there. So just always remember that. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so very much. I, after talking to you guys, I gotta go find some mint. Uh, I think I'm completely out of mint for here in about three weeks. Uh, to put in some bourbon to celebrate the, the derby, but I can't thank you guys enough. It's a pleasure meeting you. I, when I get to Louisville, uh, I'm looking you guys up. Uh, I mean, I'm I, I thankful to Kate for uh, introducing us. Uh, because, yeah, we're kind of attached at the hip with this whole uh, how leaders should lead in current times. Why do I like you when you said how much you love bourbon? I'm like, man, we're already Well, and I, already I, do right just, there. I do just want to end this with you. You just described the drink, the mint julep. And so just so you know, they are getting ready to release a gold mint julep cup that you can have for your very own for $2,000. Money goes to charity. But second, if you're now you're like two thousand's a little high, they do have a silver one for a thousand. So yeah, I think I'm going to be drinking out of a paper cup and just in mass. In so. <laughs> a big paper cup, just in mass. Yeah. Just say it if you want to go high end. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to thank Hope and Joe for sharing their thoughts on how leadership has changed moving forward in the 2020s. There's a lot of food for thought. I hope you take some of that food, per se, and ponder it, and can you apply those practices in your organization? Remember, there are people who prefer to say yes, and there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures they have, and those who say no are rewarded by the safety they obtain. Be a yes person. Thank you for listening. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.